0: Morena, do you have a cell phone handy? If if you have, pull it out. Wave me your cell phone. You can turn the torch on and pretend it's a concert. No, that won't work. Um, I'm not Coldplay or whoever it is now. Um, So if you have a cell phone and you're uh, happy to, text your first name to 2060, and then you will get a challenge once a day. And if you don't like that, um, there are these cards. Why? Why would we do a thing called the Matthew 25 challenge? Well, here's a little bit of a backstory for me. Uh, I was a young adult in the 1990s, I have come to be somewhat older now, and um, I'd grown up in New Zealand from age seven, and I had my first overseas trip. I was sent to teach a course in Metro Manila um, at Asian Development Bank. Now, that was, for those of you who have some age on you, that was during Marcos's regime. So it was a bit of a shock for me. I arrived, um, there were car bombs exploding near my hotel. They put me up in the Sheraton, as you do, and like most Kiwis, I walked in with a back, pack on my back, and um, they want to take your pack and carry it, and like most Kiwis, like, oh, this is my pack, I'll walk it up. Um, During the days, I worked in this place, this is Asian Development Bank, um, and then I knew some people who worked at servants, so uh, I would go and visit the slums, and I just didn't know what to do with this disjunction between them. Um, I felt so bad that when I went into the Sheraton, up to my air-conditioned room, I would turn off the air conditioner and open the windows because I felt guilty for um, having messed up with their systems a bit. One of my strongest memories was one night I was invited to go for a meal with one of the people I worked for, a Westerner who picked me up in a flash Mercedes and drove me to their gated community for a meal. And on the way, you try and make conversation, so what do you talk about? Well, nice car. So I commented on the nice car, and, uh, and he started complaining, because it turns out that uh, a few months ago, he'd hit and killed a local on this highway, and... Uh, And he was complaining because um, that had broken the left-hand headlight and he wasn't able to get another left-hand headlight bulb. So his left-hand headlight bulb has a right-hand headlight in it. And this was the thing he was complaining about. And I sat there going, hang on, you what? Um, It was really difficult to deal. What was upsetting to him was his headlights. Um, He had diplomatic immunity and what clearly was most important to him was his comfort and his, co- uh, co- and his convenience, there is a basic human question that we ask of others. What am I to do with you? And his answer was that person was an obstacle to him and a hindrance to his comfort. And that is not acceptable for followers of Jesus. These are not the values of Jesus, and actually I hope they're not my values. I then went and spent some time with people who were working in the slums. When the job finished, I, um, I, I caught up with some people, and I know who I would rather eat with. But let's not just. So, there, the thing is, there is this jarring kind of thing happening as you move from one world to the other, and it doesn't just happen there. I don't want to let us all off the hook, even though this is largely overseas focused. focused. Oh dear that's annoying. Behind the, um, the, hey, could you reckon you could pass this down, that should be magically appearing, but it's not going to, is a, a picture of a table. Um, this is from Toby Moss who did it on the spin-off and he says, imagine you're at a meal and there are 10 people sitting around the table. Well, here's how it works. If you want to look at how wealth is distributed in New Zealand, um, one person gets 5.8 meals served to them. So that's basically six meals. Four people get a meal. And the remaining five people get to share a fifth of a meal. That's how we distribute wealth in New Zealand. So I'm kinda, I don't want to just say, hey, overseas, terrible. I want to say, actually, that, that jarring, how do we live with this? And what do we do with it? Lives with us. And Toby draws this little thing and says, maybe we could just say, hey, uh, do you reckon we could pass something down for these guys over here? Was his, um, what he drew in the cartoon. The question is, what am I to do with you? And it's a question we have to ask not just for our neighbours, although I think that matters as we're talking about neighbouring, but also further (laughs) afield. What has that got to do, what are you to do with us? So let's jump forward and have a look at Matthew 25. Now, if you have got a Bible handy, it would be good to have it out, to have a look, Um, because there are three stories in Matthew 25, and I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to tell you those stories. You can tell a fair amount about a person by the stories they tell. And Jesus generally had three different kinds of stories he told. Um, more than that, but there's a whole bunch of stories about the kingdom of God. Um, they are about the, how the kingdom of God grows, because growth is something that God does. So a mustard seed, plants growing, the kingdom of God grows because of who God is, not necessarily because of what we do. Okay, and Jesus tells us stories that say it's really hard to measure that. And then there's a second category of story that Jesus loves to tell, which is stories of grace. And he keeps telling stories of grace. I think because grace, while we love it, it's quite different to um, it's quite different to our lives, the way we live our lives. So I um, I put green for growing against the kingdom of uh, God, for grace, actually the grace that we get is a gift from God's passionate, self-sacrificing love. So I I made it purple. And then in Matthew 25, he tells three stories that are about judgment. Okay. A little bit of background in Matthew 24, he's just been in, the te- he's been in the temple in Jerusalem. He's walked out, he's looked at Jerusalem and gone, Ugh! how could you be like this? How could you miss it? He's disappointed, probably angry. The Messiah has come to Jerusalem and they missed it. They excluded him. And then part of that, he says the, uh, the stones of this temple will be scattered and his disciples say, hey, will you tell us when this is going to happen? Now, you will have noticed I don't love talking about judgment. Okay? It's not my default. It's not that there isn't a judgment, but I don't like to talk about it. And I kind of don't like to talk about it because I think I'm following Jesus' example. When he is asked to declare his agenda, the Spirit of God, the Lord, is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is what he said he was on about, and he's actually quoting from Isaiah 61. Here's the quote. Here it is again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. Look familiar? It, however, carries on. In verse 2 of Isaiah 61, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of the vengeance of our God. So something that's been formative for me is noticing that when Jesus stands up in the synagogue, he stops before judgment. It's there, the venge day of the vengeance. Some people, um, some translations talk about the wrath of God. Jesus deliberately he could keep reading, he stops. And what I notice in Jesus is that he spends a lot more time talking about grace and love, and I. Th- suspect if you want to it's a study you can do you can walk your way through the new testament and see what is said about jesus and judgment and what you tend to see is he is given the role of judgment but he doesn't seem to want to exercise it that's at least part of my take on it so my take is that grace wins and love trumps and while it is people do scare people into the kingdom of god i don't think that's a great way of doing it I think it's better for our longings to draw us in I think it's better to talk about love and grace but that is not to say there isn't judgment so I'm explaining what I tend to do I want us to have a look at these stories and actually I think historically we've got some of these wrong so there's three judgment stories in Matthew in in Matthew 25 and The first of them is about bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom to come. There are 10 of them and five are well prepared and five are not. Now in modern day parlance we might say they've all got cell phones and they don't know when the bridegroom's going to come and what are they worried about then? What's that? Well, what's the first thing? Nowadays when you go to a camp somewhere, what's the first thing young people are looking for? the plug. They're worried about whether or not their battery's going to last. We now have an electric car. I know about range anxiety. <laughs> um, it's, it's a thing. So five are prepared. They've got spare batteries for their cell phones and probably some snacks because they don't know when the bridegroom's going to make it. Now the pattern in a marriage back then was that they'd have a little celebration at the bride's place and when that was done then the whole party would go over to the um, groom's place and at the groom's place there would be a party that would last days so that was the party you wanted to get to that was the big one and so these brides grooms are waiting probably outside the groom's family's household they do not know there's no one there because they're all off at the brides party but they're going to come over and uh, And the story is that they, while they're waiting it takes longer than you might expect because you know it's hard to finish a party Um the, uh, the, all of their phones start to run out of battery, and the five foolish ones go, oh, there's not, oh can't, your, your batteries won't charge. So they go hunting for a place to refill their lamps. Okay, no cell phones. And in the story, what happens is that the bridegroom comes back, the five prepared ones go in with him, the five foolish ones come back later, and they're not let in. And the, uh, then there's some harsh words... In where the groom says to them, I don't know you, echoing Matthew 7:23, 23, where, the, where Jesus says, some people who say they're going to be Jesus's, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Story number one, bunch of brides, uh, bridesmaids. Story number two, this one's working in order, is, um, is about some servants and a boss who goes away and leaves them with bags of gold to invest, and all but one invest them, one buries it in the ground. And when the, uh, the boss comes back, he rewards all those who, in, uh, who have invested it and is seriously knocked with the one who did nothing with it. And lastly, the last one's are, uh, um, quite short, there's the son of man who comes in glory and like a shepherd has to separate sheep and goats and different, different flocks. Those are the three stories. And in this portion, the animals are separated. Well, we'll get how they are separated. Each of these stories tend to get used by evangelists to tell people they had better get themselves into the kingdom of heaven because otherwise they're going to find themselves locked out. Uh, Yep, and Jesus will separate the sheep and goats. But there are some odd things they have in common. The first thing, which we tend not to notice, is... In each of these stories, they start with everybody included, right? So what, what I'm saying here is that at the beginning, all of the bridesmaids are there. At the beginning, there all of the servants are listed. All of the servants get given something. At the beginning of the story, when the Son of Man returns, there are all of the sheep and goats. Nobody is kicked out who wasn't already in, which is interesting. Because it's not normally what we notice. I think these stories are aimed at Jerusalem. I think they are coming out of a time period where Jesus has been left aside. And I know evangelists use these for evangelism, and they can, but I wonder if it is more pointed at us, the religious people. That's my wondering on this. There's another theme in here that happens in them. And this one, each one has an absent key figure. The groom, who's yet the groom's party, who are yet to come, the businessman who's away, and the son of God who has to return, meaning he wasn't there. And there's surprise; was might have expected him to come at this time, but coming at a different time. Those figures might be stand-ins for God, which is intriguing because we don't often get. We get in Scripture the feeling of God is absent. We know God isn't, but we feel that way. Yep, and there's surprise when they return. Now, what I think is going on now remember, I'm, I've been very honest at the start to say, I'm really in, I am more interested in grace than judgment, in part because I do not think grace, uh, judgment is my role. Or our role, I think grace is. Why are they there? Listen, I love the stories of about God's kingdom, the parables of the kingdom growing, not needing me to make it happen. That God is doing it. I love that because that gives me freedom. Right? That means you don't have to feel guilty. God is going to do this. I love that. I love the stories of grace. I love the stories of grace because I would so be toast without grace. Without God acting and God's intervention, I'm just, you know, oh, I love them. I need the love of God. And if relationship with God is about climbing a ladder, I'm in trouble. Now, you might not be, you might be very capable people, but for me, I need this. Grace is great news. But I think we need the stories of judgment. And here's why they say, do something. It is possible, if all you do is look at grace and um, look at the kingdom of God, it is possible for us to have a kind of do nothingism. It's all right, God. God is at work in the world. We don't have to do anything at all. And in our Western mindset, where we tend to make faith a mental assent to something, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But faith is more than that. Faith is living out of a trust relationship with the Son of God. And if you are in relationship with someone, it changes you. If it doesn't change you, you're probably not in relationship with them. Well, the parables of judgment say you've got to act. The first story, the bridesmaid says, "Be ready. You do not know when Jesus will return. This is a long game." And actually, history has kind of so so much um, so far shown that. The second story says, "Hey, you've got stuff to do. You've got talents." Some translations say you've got a bag of gold. Some people have got more than you, some less. Do something with it. Yep, what the master is angry about is the guy who does nothing. So you have something, do something with it. And then the last story, the sheep and goats, is where Jesus gets really explicit. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or, or... Uh, in prison and go to visit you and the king will reply truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters you did for me the third story says don't just do something do something that affects these guys Do something that has an impact on the poor, the stranger, the needy, the sick. And when you do, you are doing it for Jesus. It really speaks to your relationship with God. Faith is not only a mental, intellectual agreement, it is something that we seek to live. And these three stories say well, we should do something about it. Because those other people, they are precious. They are loved by God. So if you don't know what to do, do something that's going to affect the people who aren't advantaged in our financial systems, who are at the margins, who get a rough run. And Jesus in this story says, when you do this, you do it for me. What have I got to do with them? Jesus' response is, well, when you do something for the least of these you do it for me so do something that's what i think matthew 25 pretty much says and i think it's a really i think i think it's really good to read it to read the judgment but not to forget that the other stories jesus have been talked has been talking about lots have been god's like this grace is like this and i think probably we should pay attention, I should pay attention to what it says to me. Well, as soon as we reach outside, oh, and I think that cartoon, sorry, the early one didn't work, hey, do you reckon we could pass something down for these guys over here? Actually, that's not a bad line. Something for other people. Our issue is that um, it's possible to do that with someone that you know here and now, but what do we do with the people in the Philippines? what do we do in other places, well whatever we do we have to partner with other groups because we don't understand what's happening in places other than our own. We have to partner, so we try, we partner with, that's your world visions, your tier funds, that's NZBMS, that's Mission World, that's teaching courses, it's our faith, because we can't act wisely without people on the ground who know the area, so we partner And it is partly our answer to, what have I got to do with them? To the 815 million people who face hunger daily. Not many in this room probably feel hungry and think, I can't do anything about that. Or the 70 million people who have been forcibly displaced from their homes. Those are big numbers. And what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Well, whatever you did for the least of these, says Jesus... You did for me. In the Matthew 25 stories, the three stories are told. They start with everyone in, but by the end of them, everyone is not in. And they seem to be saying, you should do something. So what does that look like for us? All sorts of ways. Actually, I had a phone call this week from Kayanga Aura, who um, ended up having to empty a house full of stuff, and I... Um, Anita and I, I don't know how many cans of spaghetti. This person seriously liked spaghetti. Um, I'll tell you this much, there wasn't room for a passenger in my car. Um, It was overladen with spaghetti and we filled the car with spaghetti, um, in cans. Thank goodness. It was sounding like a taskmaster thing at that stage. Um, And took them to Delta um, because a food bank can use them and they can have value. That was a a little bit of a, what am I do with someone else? There are opportunities around us all of the time to make a difference for other people. But if you're talking about overseas people, and I think we should consider them, well, we have to partner. New Zealand's a well-off country. We have poverty. We have poverty we need to pay attention to. But it is, scale-wise, not as significant as global poverty. Um, and Africa particularly, um, if, you ever, if you ever want to look and see what the kind of average wage is and who's living below the line and that kind of stuff, Africa particularly is really tough. So somehow or another, we need to find ways, I think, to address the fact that like that person in the car in the story I told you earlier, we all like our own comfort. That's how we are. We want to be comfortable and happy. So, I quite like this idea of a challenge. Here's one of them, Tuesday. Give up all drinks except water. That's a minor discomfort, isn't it? Do that. Yeah, I see a few nods. There's another one about sleeping on the floor tonight. I'm sure I'd see some shakes on heads for that one. The thing is, when you do something with your body, you're kind of reminding yourself that there's other stuff going on, other values. And in a culture like ours that loves abundance and comfort and Netflix, it's really good to make some choices that are about consciously choosing not to. So Matthew 25, you don't have to do any of this, but what you should do if we're listening to these chapters is find something that you can do. What can you do for others? And in those stories, one of the reasons they're there is each one of them, you don't know when this is going to happen. The point is, do it now. Do it today. Do it this week. Don't say, I'm going to do this in six months' time. Because in these stories, that time, some off, somewhere off in the future, it's not enough. And I would say, pray for Malcolm and Wendy. Give to groups that are serving Do something out of freedom because the growth of the kingdom actually isn't all dependent on you. The stories of the kingdom say God is doing this. Do something out of freedom because you are given grace freely so you can freely give. Because you love Jesus and you notice that Jesus loves others and you want to be like him. Don't do this if you've got no money. (laughs) Don't, don't. don't um, what this will lead towards, well Vision next week will uh, give us an opportunity to sponsor a child. So, if you know that your budget's not working and this is, uh, please feel no under no obligation. Don't feel that this is the thing you have to do. What Matthew twenty five says is, do something. So, cards at the back. I'm going to play a song. If it should happen that partway through the song, an alarm went off. Um, then, we'd, if it should happen, we'd all wander out to the basketball hoop, um, they'd check the place and then we'd come back and have a cup of tea or coffee, if it should have so happen. Um, so w- the song will happen in a moment, if we can swap back, but just before it does, I, I, I have neglected to say um, uh, that you'll have noticed that a remote possibility of me falling in the drink. Um, There's a um, legacy church uh, having a baptism service um, later this afternoon and their auditorium is in construction, so they asked if they could use our place, which I'm really thrilled about because it's nice to partner together, Um, so just thought I should fill you in so it's not all random things happening. I'm going to play a song called A Bigger Table. I quite like the language on it, and uh, um, so sit back, read the lyrics and uh, see what happens next. Oh, don't rush away after you've. If if we end up there, don't rush away. Do come and grab a cuppa. Could you play the song? Thanks.